Hi, Beowulf here with Justice Matters. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. And that takes time. It takes effort. Angie, however, has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie and connect with and hire skilled professionals that you need to get the job done well. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your specific area, right in your neighborhood. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website is free to use. Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, Angie.com. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirchner. Glenn gives us his podcast from outdoors while on vacation. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to what I am going to call a special edition of my Justice Matters audio podcast. Although truth be told, it may be special for me, but not necessarily for you. The reason I say that is because at the moment I'm on vacation. So in the event you hear a little bit of wind blowing in the background, maybe a seagull or two, uh, perhaps even some waves lapping up against the shore. It's because I'm not sitting in my normal studio back in Leesburg, Virginia, where the sound quality is uh, somewhat better than it is where I am right now. Um, truth be told, I'd probably rather be where I am right now, looking out over some beautiful blue water. Um, but you'll excuse me if you hear some noises in the background that are um, foreign to my normal audio podcast. And the other thing I'll say is I swore I was going to try my best not to do any work while I was on vacation. And as you can see, I have failed miserably in that task. And it is because, you know, I've read a series of stories over the last couple of days about Donald Trump's lawyers first abandoning what is clearly a sinking ship and then beginning to feed on one another while that ship goes down. And I wanted to take on a quick podcast first about Donald Trump's lawyers and their current circumstances. And then I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, perhaps not near and dear to the hearts of many sane people, but it is to mine. And I want to talk for a few minutes about probable cause and the nature of probable cause. What does that evidentiary standard mean? How do we go about satisfying it in the criminal law? And I will tell you up front, the reason it is so darn important is because it is the standard by which law enforcement authorities can arrest somebody and it is the standard by which 
prosecutors can ask a grand jury to indict somebody. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about probable cause and then sort of applying that concept to just some of the crimes that we know Donald Trump has committed, that he has admitted to in the harsh light of day, and we'll talk about where things might go from here, where things should go from here, frankly, where things must go from here if we care about keeping our republic. Coming up, Glenn untangles the knotted mess of Trump's numerous lawyers. This is Justice Matters. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <sighs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. With so many lawyers and so many cases, it's hard to keep track of who's who and what attorneys are in and out. Glenn does his best to give us a clear picture of the Trump collage of legal turmoil. So, let me start with this reporting. I would call it insane reporting, but I I guess none of it is all that surprising when it comes to Donald Trump and his, you know, band of largely third-rate lawyers that he is burning through at a really amazing rate. Let me start with some new reporting from NBC News about this guy, Tim Palatore, Parlatore, excuse me. Here's the headline from NBC News. Top lawyer Tim Parlatore leaves former president's legal team amid special counsel's document probe. And here is a little flavor of that article. Parlatore testified before a federal grand jury investigating Trump's handling of classified documents. Friends, take it from me, a former 30-year prosecutor. It is not all that usual to put lawyers into the grand jury to testify about the suspected crimes of their clients. Yes, it happens from time to time, but it seems to be happening at an alarming rate when it comes to Donald Trump and his lawyers. But of course, Tim Parlatore, who just quit Team Trump, is not to be confused with Trump's lawyer, Evan Corcoran. 
Here's a, a recent headline regarding that particular Trump criminal defense attorney. Trump lawyer testifies before grand jury after crime fraud ruling in classified documents probe. And you may remember that was not too long ago. Attorney Evan Corcoran asserted all kinds of privileges to try to avoid testifying about, in a very real sense, against Donald Trump. Donald Trump asserted all kinds of privileges and special counsel Jack Smith burned through all of those privileges, defeated everyone in court, and compelled Evan Corcoran to testify about and against Donald Trump regarding the stolen classified documents down at Mar-a-Lago. And as a result, Evan Corcoran had to withdraw from representing Donald Trump in that case. You can't testify against your client and continue to represent your client's interests. That's what we call a conflict. And of course, neither of those two lawyers should be confused with yet another lawyer. We'll call him a former lawyer and fixer for Donald Trump and he happened to be a former attorney general. So yeah, that would be Bill Barr. And here's a headline recently from CBS News. Bill Barr says Trump's classified documents case is his biggest legal risk. And Barr says, quote, I don't think Trump's arguments gonna fly, close quote. Barr also said Trump is, quote, very exposed close quote, in classified documents case, and he added, quote, it's very clear that he, Trump, had no business having those documents, close quote. And now none of those three lawyers should be confused with one of Donald Trump's former White House lawyers, Ty Cobb, and there was a blockbuster headline recently in The Independent reading, quote, Trump's White House lawyer predicts ex-president will end up in jail as Mar-a-Lago probe heats up. And I will tell you, unlike some of these other characters, the Tim Parlatore's and the Evan Corcoran's and the, you know, the, the Takapino's, Joey Takapina's, who just went down in flames in the E. Jean Carroll case, um, and some of the others. Ty Cobb was actually a real accomplished lawyer of substance, kind of knows his way around a client who has done everything wrong, beyond wrong, illegal, and will end up in prison, according to former White House lawyer Ty Cobb. And here is a little flavor of Ty Cobb's statement about why he believes Trump will end up in prison. Again, this from the article in The Independent, Donald Trump's former attorney has boldly predicted that the former president is going to jail as the criminal investigation into the trove of classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago continues to heat up. Ty Cobb, who worked as a White House attorney for the Trump administration from July 2017 to May 2018, told CNN, that he believes the evidence against Mr. Trump will lead to a conviction and prison time. There is uh, Ty Cobb pulling no punches, calling it the way he sees it. 
And then, friends, let's finish this discussion of the rats feeding on one another by finishing where we started with attorney Tim Parlatore, who just quit Team Trump. Here is a brand new headline from ABC News. Former Trump lawyer accuses current Trump lawyer of interfering with classified documents searches. Boy, you can't make any of this up, friends. And here is just some of that article. Former Trump lawyer Tim Parlatore is now publicly blasting a current lawyer for former President Donald Trump days after departing the legal team, alleging Boris Epstein attempted to interfere with additional searches for classified material at Trump's properties. Quote, in my opinion, he was not very honest with us or with the client on certain things. There were certain things like the searches that he had attempted to interfere with, Parlatore said during an appearance on CNN on Saturday. Friends, to use a legal term, unflippin' believable. Okay, it's not exactly a legal term, but the way these lawyers are running for the door and then cannibalizing one another, and yes, maybe some of this is to try to distract attention away from Donald Trump's crimes. You know, one lawyer claiming that the bad guy is really one of the other lawyers. It's not Donald Trump. Well, you know what? It's a whole bunch of bad guys feeding on one another, and it's all going to come home to roost, and Donald Trump is going to be the one held accountable for all of it, in my humble opinion. Coming up next, the terms that prosecutors use are a bit confusing. Glenn defines a few words you might need to know when Trump's indictments start pouring in. This is Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. As far as Trump's federal crimes go, there are terms you should understand. Glenn explains evidentiary standards, including probable cause. I think we're going to look back on the years 2022 and 2023 as the era of the Trump trials. Not a pipe dream, friends. Not an unrealistic expectation. Indictments are coming. Charges are 
coming. Indictments, I believe, not only of Donald Trump, but of his criminal associates, and there are so dang many criminal associates, the Michael Flynn's, the Roger Stone's, the Steve Bannon's, the John Eastman's, the Jeffrey Clark's, the Mark Meadows, the Rudy Giuliani's, the Sidney Powell's, the insurrectionists in Congress. I don't know that they're all going to be swept up and held accountable the way they should be. But I strongly suspect so many of Donald Trump's criminal associates um, will be held accountable by Jack Smith, by Fawny Willis, and by other prosecutors who are determined to bring justice to this sad chapter in American history. Now, you may have heard me say before that I am not a betting man, I am not a high roller, one dollar is my betting limit. Well, I would bet a buck, friends, maybe even a buck and a quarter that there will be a big old overarching mega conspiracy, an indictment under 18 United States Code 371, and that criminal law, that statute, is called Conspiracy to Defraud or Commit Offenses Against the United States of America. And friends, don't forget, a federal judge in California, Judge David Carter, has already ruled after an evidentiary hearing. He has already found, he has already concluded that Donald Trump and one of his dirty lawyers, John Eastman, committed two federal felony crimes. One is obstructing an official proceeding, that is, Congress's certification of the 2020 presidential election, and the other is that conspiracy to defraud or commit offenses against the United States. And Judge Carter made this finding by a particular evidentiary standard. That evidentiary standard is a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, 51% of the evidence. Why is that evidentiary finding so important? Well, it's important, friends, because to arrest somebody, to indict somebody, you need less evidence. It doesn't need to rise to the level of a preponderance of the evidence more likely than not 51%, because probable cause is below a preponderance of the evidence. And that's why I wanted to talk for just a few minutes today about the probable cause standard. And during this discussion, keep in mind, Judge David Carter already ruled there's more than enough evidence necessary to arrest and indict Donald Trump for two federal felonies. Now, probable cause is a standard with which I am exceedingly familiar. You know, I don't fancy myself an expert in much, friends, but I can tell you, I studied probable cause as thoroughly as I could, and, and I'm gonna tell you about why that is. So when I was asked, I was a federal prosecutor at the Department of Justice, and I was asked 
by the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia. Ken Weinstein was his name. I worked for 10 U.S. attorneys during my decades with the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, which is the field office of the Department of Justice that prosecutes all of the criminal cases in Washington. D.C., one of my bosses, one of my U.S. attorneys, a presidential appointee, was Ken Weinstein. And at one point, he asked me to leave my position as a senior prosecutor in what's called the criminal division of the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, where I'd been trying RICO cases in federal district court in D.C. I had just completed a six-month RICO trial before Judge Royce Lamberth. I think it's accurate to say that Judge Lamberth is something of a lion in D.C. criminal justice circles. And after that, I jumped into a three-month-long RICO trial in front of Judge Thomas Hogan, also another extremely well-regarded veteran federal judge in D.C. I learned so much from these men, Judge Lamberth, Judge Hogan, and so many of the other judges. But these two judges in particular, before whom I tried RICO cases, I just feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to try those RICO cases in front of Judge Lamberth and Judge Hogan. But when I was asked to leave that position, senior attorney in federal court, trying RICO cases, and return to the other big division in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, it's called the Superior Court Division of the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, U.S. Attorney asked me to take over as chief of homicide where we had about 30 federal homicide prosecutors handling all of the murder cases in the District of Columbia. And sadly, sadly, business was always way too damn good because there were so many murders as a result of such a proliferation of guns and gun violence. But I digress. So when I was asked to leave the relatively cush, cushy environs of trying RICO cases in federal court and come over to head up our homicide practice in the Superior Court Division, I didn't hesitate. I eagerly accepted. And, you know, friends, I'll spare you the backstory on the dramatic differences between the Federal Court Division and the Superior Court Division in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. I know I'm down in the weeds, but it's an office and a practice that is near and dear to my heart. So let me just say those two jobs, trying RICO cases in federal court versus trying murder cases or supervising federal homicide prosecutors in superior court are as different as night and day. Let me, uh, let me try to put it in medical terms. If you were a doctor working in the criminal division, the federal district court division, over in the federal courthouse where the ceilings are high and the air is pure and everything is clean and all hearings begin on time. You know, that would be, if you were a doctor, that would be comparable to working in a high-scale private practice, you know, maybe with a whole team of physicians where you could share responsibilities and, you know, have plentiful support staff members and a beautiful, well-appointed office Maybe you saw just a few patients a day, you know, and maybe you got to play a lot of golf. I don't know. I've never played golf. 
you've probably heard me say before that I grew up a gutter kid in New Jersey who, uh, you know, had his own brushes with the law as a teenager. And my pop was a high school football coach and wrestling coach in Jersey. And uh, we certainly didn't have much money. I don't even know what greens fees are, but I can tell you that we couldn't afford greens fees. I think I just digressed again. <laughs> but let me go back to my analogy. You know, I described the relatively cushy life of um, a private practice doc with lots of partners and resources and, you know, just a, a lovely practice. Well, that's what it's like when you're trying cases in federal court. Across the street in D.C., you go from federal court to superior court, you know, it is across the street and a world away. And if you were a doctor, you know, it would be like being a resident in an inner city ER room, working 12 hour shifts, seven days a week, you know, barely having time to change your surgical gown and gloves that are blood soaked from trying to save the life of each patient, many of them gunshot wound patients, sharp force trauma patients, blunt force trauma patients. This is all hearkening back to my days as a homicide prosecutor. But imagine the different lifestyles of those two kinds of physicians working in those two kinds of medical practices. You know, you can accuse me of hyperbole, but all due respect, it ain't hyperbole. I mean, that I think is an appropriate description of the difference between trying RICO cases in federal court where there's lots of resources and you've got the FBI if not at your beck and call, certainly providing remarkable support for your investigations and prosecutions versus handling murder cases across the street in Superior Court with the local MPD homicide detectives who themselves are having to beg, borrow, and steal, not really, but beg and borrow for resources because they are handling too many murder investigations with not enough resources and not enough detectives to cover them all. You can see where my heart is. My heart was in Superior Court handling the homicide cases in the District of Columbia. And I will add that the homicide detectives, the men and women of the MPD homicide branch, are remarkable public servants who speak for the dead and from whom I learned so much, so much. And it was an honor to work those cases for 22 of my 30 years as a prosecutor. Okay, let me try to get my mental train back on track. I think we were headed in the direction of discussing probable cause. So when I accepted the assignment from U.S. Attorney Ken Weinstein to head up the homicide section and the homicide practice at the DC US Attorney's Office, um, I knew that I would be taking on an extraordinarily weighty responsibility. First and foremost, one of those weighty responsibilities would be reviewing arrest warrants in murder cases and deciding whether to approve them or decline them. And when I say that's a weighty responsibility, friends, that's probably an understatement. Because you see, a detective or an agent or an investigator would bring a homicide case to me or to one of my 
deputy chiefs with a draft arrest warrant. And the detective would say, you know, we've investigated it, we've interviewed people, we've gathered as much evidence as we could in as um, short a time frame as we could because those first 48, 72 hours are most important when you're investigating murder cases. And the detective will have detailed all of the investigative steps he or she took before reaching the point where they believe they had probable cause and they would then apply for an arrest warrant. And it was my responsibility, my section's responsibility to review that application for an arrest warrant and say yay or nay. Either you do have probable cause, in which case I would sign off on the application for an arrest warrant and then the homicide detective would head over to the Superior Court for the District of Columbia, would meet with the judge who was on duty for purposes of signing warrants, and would seek an arrest warrant for the suspected killer. Or, if I decided there was not sufficient evidence to meet that evidentiary burden of probable cause, then I would have to make the difficult decision to decline to approve that application for an arrest warrant, which would mean the detective could not walk across the street, see the judge on duty, and apply for an arrest warrant because a prerequisite was that one of the federal prosecutors at the DC U.S. Attorney's Office, myself, or one of my deputy chiefs, would have to approve the application for the arrest warrant, essentially certifying, putting our word on the line, our reputation, our ethics, our honor on the line and certifying that we believe the evidence made out probable cause that a murder had been committed and that there was probable cause with respect to the identity of the killer, the person for whom we were seeking the arrest warrant. Now, if I decided there was not sufficient evidence of probable cause, what I did was dig in with the detective immediately and try to identify whatever evidence might be lacking and work at light speed to try to bring it up to snuff, so to speak, to try to get to that probable cause standard. So for example, if evidence of the identity of the perpetrator was somehow lacking, we might cut some subpoenas for additional witnesses who we thought could provide some supplemental evidence on the identity of the perpetrator. You know, because the last thing I ever wanted to do was create an unnecessary delay in the arrest of a suspected killer. You know what kept me up at night, friends? The thought of reviewing an application for an arrest warrant in a homicide case and getting it wrong. And when I say getting it wrong, you can get it wrong in one of two ways. You can either approve an arrest warrant that lacked probable cause and stated more directly that would make you part of the machinery that produced a wrongful arrest, or you could refuse to approve an arrest warrant where the evidence really did satisfy the probable cause standard. 
You know, you can probably intuitively know why that's a concern. Because if I were to refuse to approve an arrest warrant that in fact did have probable cause and that suspect killed somebody the next day, I sure as hell would have felt responsible for not getting that call right. Coming up, the standards which juries must use to decide a case are different depending on different circumstances. Glenn explains that next on Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Trump jurors will be instructed by a judge to decide guilt or innocence depending on different standards. Glenn explains what probable cause actually means versus beyond a reasonable doubt. So friends, all of that is to say that before I took over as chief of homicide, I was determined to learn everything I could about the probable cause standard. What does it mean? When does evidence satisfy that admittedly ill-defined evidentiary standard, probable cause? I mean, think about that. What the heck does probable cause mean? We know what a preponderance of the evidence means, another important standard in the criminal law. It means 51%. It means more likely than not. There actually is a number that can be assigned to it. I guess more accurately than 51%. It could be 50.0000001%. I guess we could just go on with those zeros to infinity and beyond. But there, you know, is really no number that has ever been assigned to probable cause, at least not in the case law that I could ever find. And the other thing I will say, friends, is these numbers are kind of meaningless. When I say they're meaningless, you can't assign a value to each piece of evidence, particularly in a circumstantial evidence case. You can't say, oh, well, this item of evidence is worth 12% when you're adding up the evidence to see if you can reach the probable cause standard or the preponderance of the evidence standard or the granddaddy of all evidentiary standards in the criminal law, of course, beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a big one. That's the one that I think we've all heard if we've watched enough crime shows. Beyond a reasonable doubt is the standard by which a jury or a finder of fact, it could be a judge, but generally a jury will apply when they're deciding whether to vote guilty or not guilty. 
right? The judge will instruct the jurors, you must find that the evidence satisfies you beyond a reasonable doubt of the defendant's guilt. Again, what does beyond a reasonable doubt mean? Well, I think we like to assign numbers to these kinds of standards, these burdens of proof. There really, again, is no one number that has been assigned in the criminal law, but it, to my way of thinking, you know, I think beyond a reasonable doubt, the standard probably hovers somewhere around 95% that you're convinced of somebody's guilt. You're firmly convinced that they're guilty of the char of the crime with which they've been charged. I, I think people could make a principled argument that it needs to be more like 97 or 98 percent. I think you could make a principled argument that maybe 92, 93, 94 percent is enough. Now, I will add that the law, the judges instruct the jurors that the prosecution need not prove guilt to an absolute certainty, to a scientific certainty, to a mathematical certainty. That's part of the legal instructions judges give when they're defining for the jurors what proof beyond a reasonable doubt means. So it's not 100%, but precisely where it is, I think, can appropriately be the subject of, of a pretty robust debate. And I think I've gotten off track again, so let's go back to probable cause, right? And let me just wrap up the discussion by saying, you know, probable cause is somewhere below and probably well below 51%. It is clearly below a preponderance of the evidence. I will save for another day, friends, what I learned by my exhaustive research decades ago into the probable cause standard. I don't know if this is considered a teaser. You would have to be interested enough, I guess, to tune into the next episode if you are dying to know exactly what the number is that I think is best assigned to how much evidence is necessary to make up probable cause. It would probably take another 30 minutes for me to run through it. But I just want to sort of wrap up this discussion about probable cause by saying that one thing is for certain. When a federal judge, David Carter, has already ruled that Donald Trump committed to federal felonies, obstructing official proceedings, and conspiracy to defraud or commit offenses against the United States of America, that judge concluded and announced there is more evidence that Donald Trump committed those crimes than is necessary to arrest him and indict him for those crimes. And I will undoubtedly be talking more about this in the future, friends, because as I say, 2023, 2024, probably 2025 will be the year of the Trump trials. Donald Trump is already indicted in New York on 34 felonies. Donald Trump will soon be indicted in Georgia for soliciting election fraud and probably an overarching conspiracy together with others, perhaps even a RICO conspiracy. There have been some hints that that is the direction in which District Attorney Fawny Willis is heading and there will be 
federal indictments. I suspect there will be at least two. One for the classified documents Donald Trump stole and then unlawfully retained at Mar-a-Lago and obstructed justice by refusing to return them when a federal grand jury conducting a criminal investigation subpoenaed their return. And remember where we started with one of his former White House lawyers, Ty Cobb, saying, oh, in my estimation, based on what I know, Donald Trump will be indicted, convicted, and imprisoned for the classified documents crimes. And then I do believe Donald Trump will ultimately be indicted in that conspiracy we discussed a 371 conspiracy to commit offenses against or defraud the United States for the insurrection, for trying to steal the 2020 presidential election. And friends, I, for one, am here for all of it. Because justice matters. And friends, I hope we move together through the era of the Trump trials, and we come out the other side with a better, stronger democracy. Friends, as always, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.